You're listening to audio from Cibolo Creek Community Church. To learn more, visit CibeloCreek.com. So uh, we're in week number five of this series. Next week, we'll conclude the series. Some of you are like, phew, good, glad to move, ready to move on. Okay, we don't do, typically we don't do six-part message series. Um, it's a little long for the attention span of most audiences. Um, <laughs> We usually tick, stick with four, but uh, this week, this series, I thought was, this was an important topic. In the first two weeks of the series, we laid some groundwork for the topic of a redemptive community, and then the last couple of weeks, we've been exploring some really practical ways that we go about um, acting like a redemptive community. And so just by way of review one more time, a redemptive community, it was God's dream that the church not the building, not stained glass steeples, you, me, us, the church, people who share a faith in Jesus Christ, the church is a redemptive community. It's the kind of community where redemptive sorts of things take place. The church is a redemptive community and God intended to be at work through the church and use the power of the gospel. This amazing, miraculous message that Jesus died He was buried and he rose again to offer forgiveness of sin and and the ability to rise above the power and the grip of sin in our life, the the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ to restore what was ruined by sin. That's the important words here. To restore, to put back together, to repair what, what damage sin has done to the human life. That's you, and that's me, and that's us. So today, as we continue this discussion, I want to introduce you to a concept. It's not a difficult concept to understand. It's very easy. But I I want to introduce it to you as a way to set up the conversation of where we're headed today. And I'll just give you a heads up. It's a little heavy. It's a little heavy. But we'll move toward hope because hope is often most beautiful when we've been through the heavy. You with me? Okay, so here's the concept. Again, this isn't hard. Different degrees of damage. Different degrees of damage. You buy your new car. Six days later, you're coming out of HEB with a small couple of things that you picked up at the store on your way home from work. Ah, there's a ding. Where is it? It's always in the driver's side door, so you'll see it for the rest of the time you own that car. (laughs) This is a little ding. And suddenly the honeymoon's over. It's just not quite the same new car that it was just five days earlier. Six months later, you're at one of those, you know, transitions where you're coming to cross traffic and you're watching and waiting to see you go and, and, and it looks like you have time to go and the guy behind you, he's watching this way and, it, and he runs into the back of you. Now you have a fender bender, back quarter panels crinkled. You're missing your rear brake light. <laughs> so I'm like, mm. This just hurts to talk about it, okay? Different degree of damage. A year and a half later, you're involved in a really serious car accident. Now, gratefully and thankfully, you walk away and you're fine. Nobody got hurt, but your car is what? Totaled. It's not even worth the money to replace or repair it because the damage is so extensive. You go from 
door ding, fender bender to total. That's different degrees of damage. Make sense? Okay, so this works across all sorts of arenas of life. Fire, different degrees of damage. A couple weeks ago, I was getting ready to grill something at their house. I'd taken the, the grill off the top of the, of the grill. What? My double grill. Anyways, I'd taken the grill, and uh, I had the charcoal going, and I was cleaning the grill. What I wasn't paying attention is part of the grill was hanging over the hot coals. So I get it all scraped off, and then I just reach down and pick up and put the, ah, I burnt my hand pretty badly. And I got the, you know, the, the callus and all of that to go with it. That's generally better. But two years ago, I stood in the parking lot on the west side of this campus, and I watched this house on the next piece of property burn to the ground. Different degree of damage. All of us, we've watched the news. We've seen places like Colorado and California and wildfires. Tens of thousands of acres of forest, sometimes hundreds of homes, sometimes, sadly, people's lives lost. Same element, fire, just different degrees of damage. Works with earthquakes, works with tsunamis, different degrees of damage. Does this make sense? Okay. So, so we're talking about this idea of redemptive community, restoring what is ruined by sin. So we've been talking a lot about the nature of sin and how it works. And so we've been discussing it in these terms that sin, it confuses. The Bible actually describes that sin has the capacity to blind our mind, not to be able to understand truth. It confuses. Sin complicates. It makes things much more complicated than God ever intended them to be. Sin contaminates. And sin corrupts. It's the nature, it's the force of evil at work in the world, and at times it impacts us. And what I want us to understand is it impacts us personally. It also impacts us as a millions of people called a society. Sin has an influence in our lives, and then as, as you multiply human beings, it has influence in society. And what I want you to get today is that it has different degrees of confusion, there's different degrees of complications. There's different degrees of contamination. There's different degrees of corruption as sin continues to have its place in people's lives. Does that make sense? Okay, so look at this, look at this interesting passage of scripture. You, uh, Paul writes to uh, Timothy, he's a pastor in the first century, writes this letter, he says, uh, Timothy, mark this. In other words, just go ahead and set your clock to this because there will be terrible times in the last days. What's he implying? He's implying that things are gonna get worse over time. Different degrees of damage. People will be, they'll be lovers of themselves. They'll be lovers of money. They'll be boastful and proud. They'll be abusive. They'll be disobedient to their parents. People will be ungrateful unholy, they'll be without love. They'll be unforgiving, they'll be slanderous without any self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good. They'll be treacherous, rash, 
conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, and having a form of godliness but denying its power. And then Paul writes to the first thing. He says, have nothing to do with such people. Okay, two things before you make conclusions. It sounds like things will go from bad to worse. That's what Paul's warning the first century church. Why? Because sin has different degrees of damage that it creates over time. Now, we get, we get bugged out by this line, have nothing to do with such people. Now, please, please hear me. There are so many other passages of Scripture where we are directed and commanded and instructed and encouraged to build relationships with people who live lives very different than us, to love our neighbor. What he's saying here is not that you don't ever have a friendship or keep company with somebody who lives their lives in the ways that he's just described. He says, but don't let them have an influence on the way that you live your life. Don't give them too much influence to where you begin adopting things that they've adopted. Don't begin approving and applauding and accepting their sinfulness, the, the expressions of sin in their life, the damage that sin has created them. Don't, don't own that yourself. Does that make sense? Okay, look at this. Again, Apostle Paul in the first century, I tell you this, and I insist on it in the Lord, that you, Christian, you must no longer live your life as Gentiles. Now, he's using this phrase as to describe people who have not made any room for Christ in their life. They've pushed all of that out. Don't live your life as people who push Jesus away. Look at this in the futility of their thinking. Sin has different degrees of damage. It can cloud the way that a person thinks. In the futility of their thinking, they're darkened in their understanding. The degree of contamination can be greater in some situations than others. That we're, now we're just living in a place of darkness. We can't even begin to comprehend light. Darkened in their understanding, separated from the life of God. Why? Because of the ignorance that is in them due to their heart getting really hard toward everything that's true and right and good about God. Different degrees of damage. Having lost all sensitivity, is, would I be the only one in the room that could look at modern day society and go, ooh, I think that's pretty descriptive of some of the things that we're reading about and hearing about and seeing going on in our, our contemporary society. People have lost a certain sensitivity toward what is right and good Having lost all sense, they've given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity, different degrees of damage, and they're full of greed. Okay, now listen, because this is for those of you in the room who are Christ followers. That, however, is not the way of life you learned when you heard about Jesus. And you were taught in him in accordance with the truth when Jesus, through salvation, opened your eyes to be able to comprehend the truth of God. Then you were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus about a different way of living your life. You were taught with regard to 
an old way of living. Put off your old self, which is being corrupted, different degrees of damage, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires. To be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on a new self created to be like God in the true righteousness and holiness. So here's where we have to begin today is that sin's impact can have a different degree of damage in our life and the life of a society. Different degrees of confusion, different degrees of contamination, different degrees of complications, different degrees of corruption. Does that make sense? So what we have to understand is that sin has had an impact across the entire dimensions of life. Look at this. The natural world was complicated by the force of sin. The world that God created and how he designed it to work, when sin entered into that it got complicated. It stopped working the way that God intended. God didn't intend for tsunamis to happen. God didn't intend earthquakes to happen. God didn't intend anybody to live below 50 degrees. I'm just kidding. I'm not kidding. <laughs> okay, the natural order of the world was complicated because of the power and presence of sin in it. The world stopped working the way it was intended. Our physical lives. God didn't intend us to die. God didn't intend for disease to run rampant in the world. Sin brought that to bear. Our personal lives, just the ways that we understand ourselves and relate to others, that was complicated and corrupted by the nature of sin. Our relationships with one another get complicated and get corrupted by the expressions of sin. Um, the social order, the way that society was supposed to work is completely different because of the presence of sin than God intended it to be. And spiritually, everything was corrupted. We were to live in a, har a harmonious relationship with God, the creator and the sustainer of the universe, but sin separated us and now, now we're as if we're enemies of God. We're far from him. So there's a big question, big question that's out there. Why do bad things happen to good people? And that question alone can keep a lot of people from placing any faith in Jesus. Why do bad things happen to good people? And a lot of times what we end up doing for some people, well, we blame God for that. And so I'm not interested in a God that lets bad things happen to good people. But here's what you have to take into account is that sin confuses. And it complicates and it contaminates and it corrupts. So why do bad things happen to good people? Why do bad things happen? Because sin has a presence in our world and it complicates and corrupts and contaminates things. And just like good people lose their lives in the paths of fires and tsunamis and earthquakes, because sometimes good people are in the path of the impact of those natural disorders of the world. 
we die and we, we get diseased because we're in the path of sin's rampant work in the way that God never intended the world to operate. Does this make sense? So sometimes our lives are greatly impacted by the movement or the presence or the force of evil in our world. So I'm going to show you a list. And it's just a small list of some of the ways that sin expresses different degrees of damage. You ready? We're almost through the heavy part. Right, we're almost through the heavy part. Some people, they live with a certain amount of codependency. Maybe on their spouse. <laughs> There's some parents who have codependent relationships with their children. It's not a good thing, not healthy. But you know what? There are some people who have a greater degree of codependency on somebody or something in their life, and their life is really complicated because of the presence of their codependency, the impact of sin in their life. Dysfunction. We all have some dysfunctions. We've all learned and adopted and adapted some ways of living that we generally learn from the homes that we grew up in. We all have a certain amount of dysfunction, but there's some people whose lives have been even greater impacted by the dysfunctions that are present in their life. It makes it all absolutely um, almost impossible for them to have a healthy marriage or to have a healthy family or to work, be a healthy contributing member at their workplace because their dysfunctions express a greater degree of damage. Addiction is a greater degree of damage. Some people have experienced trauma. They've witnessed things or actually been on the receiving end of very traumatic experiences and it's left enormous scars. And it's resulted in a greater degree of damage in their life than perhaps another person who's never been through something as traumatic. Grief. Grief can have different degrees of damage in people's lives based on who we lost and how we lost them and when we lost them. Developmental immaturity. Greater degrees of damage. In fact, there's a relationship between this and trauma. Some people who were severely traumatized at age 14, there's a part of their psychological development where they stop growing. And now they're 45. Now they're 65, but they still act in some expressions in their life. They still act like, what, like they're 14 when they experienced the trauma and they never grew past that. That's a greater degree of damage. Sometimes we get involved in things that have greater degrees of damage. Sometimes you, you just get a ticket. Sometimes you spend a few days in jail. Sometimes you go off to prison. That's greater degrees of damage. Greater degrees of damage when it comes to moral corruption. The person who looks at pornography 
the person who buys additional pornography, the person who then pursues other experiences that are pornographic in nature, all the way down to the person who buys and sells women and children and men for pornographic purposes. That's greater degrees of corruption. Does that make sense? Psychological confusion, greater degrees of damage. We are living in an era in our society right now where we are witnessing this in technicolor. Psychological confusion. The whole discussion of gender identity and trans lifestyles. It has a name, it's gender dysphoria. It is a psychological breakdown to properly understand who and how I am. And it demonstrates the confusing, contaminating work of sin in a life. And we, as people who witness it and observe it, we can't feed the lie. Does that make sense? Spiritual rebellion, different degrees of damage. Some people, ah, I'm not really interested in church. And some people, I hate God. I want nothing to do with him. Different degrees of damage. Now, there's a little audible here. Uh, this past Thursday evening, uh, we had our second message series Q&A over in our student center. And a, a woman asked a great question. She says, Paul, how do we as Christians, how do we know how to respond or how to treat or how to have relationship with people in our lives who are living far, far from God and are caught in all kinds of immoral improper ways of going about living according to God's design. How, 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 do, we, how do we do that? Because it, it's hard to know how to navigate relationships with family members, people from work, neighbors, friends at school. And so my, here's how I answered that question. I said, well, well probably the best way to always begin thinking about questions like that is just let's start with Jesus and ask ourselves, how did Jesus do it? And what can we learn from him? And the scriptures describe Jesus as full of grace and full of truth. In other words, he was full of grace. He, he, everything about him was gracious. He was kind, compassionate, and caring. And yet he never once fudged on the hard edge of truth. He was full of truth. He was, his truth was coupled with grace and his grace was coupled with truth. And yet we see Jesus building relationships and, and hanging out with all sorts of people with all sorts of improper, immoral lifestyles. And so we can learn something from him. And here's, I think, one of the most powerful lessons that we can learn. If we look at people who live differently than we do as Christ followers, it's very tempting for us to look at them and think they're bad, they're wrong, 
And what that creates in us is a certain spirit of judgment, a certain spirit of criticism, a certain spirit of um, penalty. You know, our justice button gets pushed and we're like, no, they're doing something bad and they should be punished for that. But what if we looked at them like Jesus saw people? You see, Jesus never looked at anybody as bad. He looked at everybody as broken. He was God. And in his discernment, he could understand the enormous impact of sin in a human soul and a person's life. And so Jesus looked at every person that he encountered as their lives were complicated by the brokenness of sin. And so when we change our perspective and we look at that they're not bad, they're broken, that changes my reaction. So now it's not about condemnation, it's about compassion. They're hurting. Sin has had a, a, a devastating impact in their life and out of compassion for them, we care and we're concerned and we build relationship to help restore and to come alongside and help walk them toward restoration to redemption that's available through the gospel of Jesus Christ. We love them like Jesus loved them. It's interesting, Jesus, of all the people that he encountered, he loved them and their lives were so contrary to the way that he intended them to live. He loved them, but he never once approved, affirmed, or accepted their sin. He called them to repentance. He called them to renewal. He called them to the gospel and he asked them, please follow me because I could teach you a better, healthier, more productive way to live by faith. And that's the call of Christians. That helps us navigate the dance of the tensions that we live in as a society. Does that make sense? Looking at the clock. <laughs> Hate the clock. <laughs> Hate the clock. Sounds like a Seinfeld episode. Hate the clock, Jerry. Hate the clock. <laughs> I don't even know where that came from. <laughs> okay, so... You know what this means? Every Sunday morning, we open the doors on both ends of this building and anybody and everybody's allowed to come in. We want them to come in. We welcome them in. Every one of us are free to come in here exactly the way that we find ourselves in the moment that we're in coming to this service. So what that means is that we all come in here, we're all broken, we're all messed up, we all have a lives that have been complicated by the presence of sin and, and its work in our lives to some degree or another. But what I want you to be sensitive to this morning is that some people walk into our community and become a part of our family and they're experiencing a greater degree of damage. Sin has had an enormous impact in their life in ways that some of us have never walked, never experienced, never known 
And in a redemptive community, that person who's experiencing a greater degree of damage deserves a greater degree of love and grace and support and care. And we have to ask ourselves as Cibolo Creek communities, what kind of church are we going to be? Are we going to just rather not mess with the mess? We're going to just ask people to please don't come until you kind of got your act together? Are we going to be the redemptive community that God designed us to be and invite anybody and everybody and come alongside anybody and everybody, specifically those who are experiencing a greater degree of damage by the impact of sin in their life? Okay, we're gonna go. I'm like a third of the way through the message. (laughs) So what do we do? We do what the Bible instructs us. I keep taking us back to what does the Bible instruct us? So look at this, brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin... You who live by the Spirit, you should restore that person gently. But watch yourselves, or you also may be tempted. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you fulfill the law of Christ, which was what? To love, to love your neighbor. If anyone thinks that you are something, when they are not, they deceive themselves. Each one should test his own actions. Then they... Go, they can take pride in, themsel- uh, pride in themselves alone without comparing themselves like I'm better than them, I'm not as morally bankrupt as that person, without comparing themselves to someone, for each should carry their own load. Nevertheless, the one who receives instructions in the word should share all good things with their instructor. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. His, his words of truth will not come back void. A person, a man or woman, they reap what they sow. The decisions that we make, the choices that we make, the things that we get involved in, we reap what we sow. Whoever sows to please their flesh, sins, corruption in our life, from that flesh you'll reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the spirit, from that spirit will reap eternal life. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have the opportunity, let's do good to all people, especially those who belong to the family of believers. Look how the passage begins. Brothers and sisters. This is a family kind of discussion. This is a brother and sister kind of dynamic. If someone is caught in a sin, You see, we read the Bible with the words that we know. And we go, that sounds like if I catch somebody doing something wrong, they're busted. (laughs) If I walk in on somebody or I hear something or I have reason to believe that somebody's into something, and the problem is that this word caught is not how you and I use it. If someone is caught in sin, you who are, who are led by spirit, you should restore such one gently. Okay, so let's, let's pull this apart real fast. Caught. You see, the writers of the letter were using a Greek vocabulary, and they chose a very specific word. And that word, if anyone is caught in a sin, it's the idea of somebody who's been caught in a trap. It's somebody who's walked into a, a, a snare, 
like an animal in the forest and now they can't go past it. It's like somebody who's fallen in a hole and they're captive. Their sin has become so domineering and so dominating their life, they can't get out of it. It's a completely different spirit. If someone is caught, overtaken by sin, you who are spiritual, you who are in a healthy place in your spiritual journey, restore such a one, the passage says. This is a medical term. It means to reset bones. It means to put joints back into place. It can also be used to mend nets that have been broken. It's, it's helping people put their lives back together in keeping with God's original design, that's redemption, to restore to its original condition to make something whole and functional again. You who are spiritual, restore. Do the hard work of helping somebody heal. And then I love this, this one word, do it gently. Do it gently. Do it with grace and compassion and understanding, humility and empathy, because as the passage goes on to say, we've all been there. Or we all have the potential to go there. So when someone in our body is really hurting badly because of the damage of sin, a redemptive community comes around them and helps. We're gonna skip some stuff. First, you can't do any of this on your own. This, this restoration, this redemption, this, this progress you wanna make past your sin, you can't do it on your own. In fact, it's one of the biggest lies of the enemy is that we can overcome sin on our own in our own strength. You can't. It's a spiritual issue and it requires something that God has ordained to help. You can't do it on your own. Secondly, you can't do this in large groups of people. Any progress that you wanna make toward restoration in your life, you can't do it here. It's not personal enough, it's not private enough, it's not safe enough, it's just too many people. You have to find a small circle of trusted friends that you begin to open up the truth of your life and share with what's going on in your life. You can't do that here. If the extent of your experience at Cibolo Creek Community Church is this Sunday morning service and that's it, you will not know the hope of the power of redemption in your life to the degree that God intended it to be enjoyed. You can't do this on your own, and you can't do this in large groups, and you can't do this without the help of others, and finally, you can't do this without being honest. If you wanna hide behind your mask that you got it all together and you got it all figured out and you don't want anybody into the privacy of what's broken in your world, as long as you live there, you live in the shadows. And God is inviting you, come into the light. Come into the light. I have like an entire other message that I wanted to share with you today. <laughs> we gotta go. If a brother or sister has found themselves trapped by the greater degree of damage of sin at work in their life. You, you, you help put them back together again. And do it gently. Because that's how Jesus treats you.